First Timothy chapter four. Okay. We'll read this and then we'll pray and then be seated. Um, this is uh, for those of you who are not normally with us. This is a continuing study. We take a book of the Bible and we just walk through it, making the applications uh, to ourselves, to our families, uh, to our own lives. And uh, so we find ourselves at the last part of 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll read verses 13 through 16. You follow along as I read this aloud, and then we will walk our way through it. Paul says to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation, to the teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, I thank you that I can add my prayer to the ones that have already gone before. I thank you that you have given us these precious children that we have dedicated to you today and these moms and dads that we also dedicate to you as a church. Lord, we ask you to help us come alongside them, support them with our prayers, with our presence, with our encouragement. And Lord, I pray particularly today, not just for the dads, but as we're celebrating Mother's Day, I pray for the moms. And I pray that you would give them a special sense of ministry, of giftedness, of service, as they do really the most important job in the world, that of raising up the next generation in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I pray that as I walk through this and explain what Paul has to say to Timothy, that we each would hear, that we would receive, make our hearts, as you say in one of your parables, fertile soil so that we could bring forth fruit that lasts into eternity. We thank you and we praise you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me set a context for this passage of Scripture. This section is an exhortation, a part of a larger exhortation from the Apostle Paul to the young Timothy, who was the pastor teacher at the church of Ephesus. Now, these would be the same kinds of encouragements to any minister, but it's more than that. In fact, I would dare say that some of you who heard me read the passage of Scripture today, you might be thinking, well, that's for that young Timothy, that young pastor teacher. That's not really for me. But we remind ourselves at Heritage Baptist Church that whatever was written in former times, Old Testament and New Testament, was written ultimately for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, here is, here is what I'm laying out for us today. 
within the personal commands given to Timothy are applications for every believer, for every minister. And pretty much we can take that as gospel truth no matter what the Apostle Paul says. Now, we know that there are specific instructions, okay? Uh, later on, Paul is going to tell Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. And, and I know some people say, oh, I'm all over that. That's a, that's a command for me today. Well, that was a very specific command for young Timothy. But these general commands that we're going to see are for us as well. So, and this is what I say to, to our people every week. Do not hold the things that we're going to look at at arm's length. These are for the saints. I remind myself that one of my jobs as a pastor teacher is to be one of these men, thankfully given to the church. I receive that ministry humbly, but we look to Ephesians. By the way, this was written to the church at Ephesus. There is so much coordination of these passages. And he gave some as apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, the shepherds and teachers. That's all one ministry to do what? What does it say? What are we given to do? To equip who? The saints for the work of the ministry. Now this might sound kind of different for some of you. You say, well, saints? Well, I'm no saint. I get it. But he is addressing us as the set-apart people of God whom he refers to as saints. I went back. I preached a, a series years ago through Ephesians, and I had a sermon about this right at the beginning of Ephesians, and I made it a point. For those who say, well, I'm no saint, Paul says you are. So you're either a saint or you ain't. <laughs> and that's a gospel reality. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, by definition, you're a saint. And so gifted men have been given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Charles Spurgeon says, so that we can be useful. Listen to me, moms and dads and the rest of you. So we can be useful in our own spheres. And we don't all have the same sphere. And sometimes that sphere will change. And so we look at a passage like this, Ephesians 6, 4. If you have studied this, and again, I went back to my old sermons, and sure enough, when I came to this passage of Scripture, I reminded us that that word for fathers is a word, look it up for yourself, that can be translated parents. So it's not specifically just to dads. Yes, dads lead the way. We've talked about that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're given as the heads of our household. So we lead the way, but parents, moms, and dads, look at what it says. Provoke not your children to wrath or to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So this sermon is going to be from Paul to Timothy, how he as a minister can build his ministry. But watch this. It is also 
a message for each person in here, in our own sphere. You've been given a gift, just like Timothy. We'll see that in just a minute. So that you, as a faithful minister, a faithful saint, can fulfill and build your ministries. All right? With that as an introduction, let's look at the three points that we're going to break down for this passage of Scripture. The first one is proclaim the Word of God in every way possible. Timothy needed to do that. I need to do that. Dads, you need to do that. Moms, you need to do that. You need to do that at home. You need to do that in the workplace. You need to do that in the retirement home, wherever you are. Paul says, until I come, I love this word, devote yourself to the public reading. Now, if you read out of the ESV, you saw that it didn't have the definite articles. So it was devote yourself to the public reading, to exhortation, to teaching. No, it's the, it's a very specific thing. Devote yourself, Timothy. Devote yourself, church. Devote yourself, families. By the way, I left out the grandfathers and the grandmothers in this. We are important for doing that. So all of us are to devote ourselves to the public reading of the scripture, to the exhortation, to the teaching. And another thing about this, one of the great things, it's fun to study this. Because when I study it, I get to see that there is a nuance of this word that is not a suggestion. Timothy, until I come, I command you. These are not suggestions. These are commands for us to be about this business. In other words, for Timothy, for me, as the pastor, teacher of this church, for you, no matter what your sphere of life, this is gospel business and it is serious and it is urgent. These are strong words. This word, devote, I love it again when you can look this up and, and, and it has nuances that can help us understand. What does it mean to devote yourself? What does it mean? Well, let's look at the scripture. Let's look at how it was used in the negative. If you care to look it up, you can flip back in your Bible. Do you still have your Bible open? Still got it on your screen? You can scroll back to chapter 3, verse 8. Paul uses exactly the same word, but there's a different translation. He says, don't be devoted to much wine. Oh, that's not the translation in the ESV. The translation is addicted. He uses it in a neg negative way. Don't be addicted to much wine. Then jump to what he is saying here. That word devoted means and he uses it in chapter 4, verse 1. We, we did that a couple of weeks ago. People who devote themselves to the wrong kinds of teaching, to the demon, demonic doctrines, to deceitful spirits, they devote themselves. So here is what, this is what this means for us. Here's what it means for you, church. Mom, dad, grandfather, grandmother, student, it means that we need to devote ourselves to, in other words, to be enthusiastic, eager followers of, to chase after, to be given to, to be addicted. 
addicted to, to be obsessed with. And that's the word that Paul uses. You know, you know, when you break it down, all of a sudden, you get this feel for it. This is important stuff that Paul is saying for us to be devoted to. It's not this nice little, okay, if you want to, tomorrow morning or next week, whenever it suits you, be devoted to. Guys, this is urgent. This is serious business. Now, we all know about this kind of devotion, don't we? Don't we? Don't you? <laughs> we... You know, we show up at church, we hear sermons, we put this in the abstracts. Everybody is devoted to something. I know some of you are sportsaholics. You're devoted to sports. You're devoted to watching everything you can. You give attention to. You are obsessed with. And some of you listen to that and you think, well, I, that's not me. Okay, let's use another one. Is anybody in the room a chocoholic? You know you shouldn't, but every night after your meal, you either have a something with chocolate or maybe you have a bowl of ice cream with chocolate syrup. By the way, I'm just priming you for lunch. <laughs> Addicted to something watch this, that gives pleasure. We talked about this last week. What, what do we say? God wants you to walk in joy. Satan gives you a cheap substitute called happiness. And that's why so many in the church are so powerless because they have a form of godliness. I, I've been there. You kind of burn out or, or whatever the case may be. You start not showing up every so often and then you just show up, you don't show up to church, stop reading your Bible, and you start giving yourselves, listen, you're going to be devoted to something or someone. And Paul is saying be devoted to these things that I'm talking about here because they will give you true lasting joy and they will help your family. Okay, don't choose the cheap substitute of pleasure and happiness. Paul talks about in the second letter to, to Timothy. He says they're lovers. These are people in the church, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're addicted to pleasure rather than being addicted to God. They have an appearance, an outward form of godliness, but they don't have the power. And so I, I hope and pray that as you are gospel to people, that you understand we're not satisfied with that. We want the power of what Paul speaks of in a godly life. Now, he says three things that we need to be devoted to. Look at it right again in the scripture. Now, here he's talking, he's talking to individuals. That's the application that we're going to come back to. But he is primarily talking to the church. And so he says, church, here's what you need to be devoted to. Now, some of you are not members of your church. You're not going to be here next week. You're going to be in your own church, I hope. If you don't have a good church, I know of one. We're having membership matters next week, all the rest of that. But get plugged in somewhere, but not just anywhere. I hear parents say this sometime, and it's, it's reaching. I feel you, okay? 
be talking about their children and the children may not be involved in church and then they'll mention one of their kids and they'll say, and they'll mention a church that is, this is not their goal and they'll say, well, at least he's going to church. And according to the Apostle Paul, that's not good enough. We want to be. We're not perfect. We're, we're striving to be a church that devotes ourselves to three things. Every Sunday morning when you show up, these three things ought to be part and parcel of what we do. They ought to be an obsession with us. What are they? The public reading of Scripture. For some of you who are visiting with us today, my guess is you probably wondered to yourself, why are those folks reading the scripture so much. You want to guess? Because Paul tells Timothy, and this is a timeless thing. Do you want to build a church, Timothy? Do you want the church at Ephesus to be strong? Do you want the people in your church to have strong families, strong marriages, and all the rest of that? Then Timothy, and, and the, the, the nuance of the word is read together. Read it together. Sometimes you'll say it out loud. Sometimes you'll be following along, but you read the word. It is the reading of the word. Sound doctrine. Divine revelation. Sola scriptura. Man, with that rain, I could just hope for a thunderclap at the end of one. <laughs> Come on, Lord. To, to, to really give emphasis. That's not all. The public reading of the scripture. But there's something else. Reading of scripture is okay. By the way, reading the scripture is important for your kiddos. Read the Bible to them. Say, well, they're too young to understand it. Well, just read it to them in chunks and they're going to get it one of these days. And I'll tell you what, these kids are sharper sometimes than we give them credit for. They'll come up with stuff that you... People will come up to me, guess what my three-year-old said? Somebody did that last week? I said, wow, you're raising young theologians, so give them the word. Trust the word. Trust the spirit of God to take his word, to drive it into their hearts and someday pray that it'll make sense to them. But that's not all. You see that he also says the exhortation. Look at it. Now, it doesn't have the definite article, but it's in the Greek. So what we do when we come together, and it's so important, you've got to have not only the reading of Scripture, but the exhortation. You're taking the Word of God. You're, you're devoting yourself to this. And when you come together, there is the exhortation, the encouragement from God's Word. Am I exhorting you to do something with God's Word today? You better believe it. Did Jim exhort you a few minutes ago? You better believe it. Did the songs exhort you to do something with God? Absolutely they did. So whether we're singing the scripture, reading the scripture, praying the scripture, preaching the scripture, or sometimes seeing the scripture in the Lord's Supper or in baptism, that is the focus of what we do. And then we go on beyond that to the teaching, sound doctrine, divine revelation, sola scriptura. And these are all to be a part 
of the corporate gathering of the church. And let me go back to a statement that I kind of made a minute ago. If you're not a part of a church that is doing that, get into a church that gives priority to the public reading of Scripture, the exhortation, and the teaching of Scripture. We need it. We need it. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And I need all four of those every day that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. By the way, this is, this is not just New Testament. This is not just the Apostle Paul kind of having a good idea and maybe this would be good for you to do. This, this has always been his plan. Look at another group of people. I, I love this passage. Now, what, what was it, a year ago? A year and a half ago, we preached through Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. And so when we got to Nehemiah chapter 8, here, here's what it says. And, and this, is, this is such a great passage of Scripture. Overlays kind of, but I, I want you to see the heart and the attitude. It's not, it's not Ezra who is gathering the people. It is the people who are coming together and asking for Ezra to read the word to them. Paul says in his second letter to Timothy, in the last days, difficult times will come. and People are going to gather to themselves people who will tickle their ears. They won't give them the word. They'll give them what they want to hear. Not so with these people. Now, the Israelites had a lot of problems, okay? But on this particular occasion, they came together as one man. Look at this. All the people gathered as one man, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. The book of the law of Moses? Is he really going to read all of the book of the law of Moses? Genesis? Well, I can stomach the first 12 chapters. That's got some interesting things, but then you get into all the genealogies and Exodus, are you kidding? And then Leviticus? Come on. Who in the world would preach through the book of Leviticus? I did that several years ago, and we found, wow, the word of God just speaks to us. It speaks to us all the time. So Ezra the scribe, they said to him, bring the book of the law of Moses. So Ezra brought, look at this, brought the book of the law before the assemblies, both men and women. I'm glad we've got some kids. D don't let the, the fact that they fuss and, and move a little bit, that's okay, that's okay. If they get too rowdy, you can take them out. But, but don't worry about that. Look at this. They brought both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. That's why at our church we feel that after the, the preschool time, when they get into the first grade, five, six years old, they need to be in here with us. They don't understand everything, but they understand a lot. And he read from early morning to midday. How would you like a church service like that? And you say, well, it's raining. We can't go anywhere. But you know as well as I that about, well, it's 11.14 right now. I got plenty of time. But if, I, if I'm still going at about 11.45, some of you are going to be saying, uh, uh, Pastor, it's Mother's Day. We need, to get, 
We need to beat the Methodist to, to the cafeteria, okay? I'm, I'm dating myself. You do, there, is there anything such as a cafeteria today? Early morning to midday. Now watch this. This is so cool. The ears of all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. I can't get in. I can't get into your hearts. I can't tell what is going on in your minds. But there was a response. The people were attentive. You, you've been attentive. You really, really have. That, that's it. It's not just that I appreciate it. It's, it's it's important for you. Also, the Levites. Now watch this. Look at the pattern. The Levites. Those were the, the priestly tribe helped the people understand the law. I'm condensing this, okay? They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And, and so Paul is doing nothing more than just say, this, is, this has been God's plan all along. Take the word. Read the word Explain the word. Make it as clear as you can and then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And again, I, I can't tell what's going on. I, I do look at faces. Now, this may or may not, next week, probably be a lot more people back there. With my contacts, I can only see about halfway back. But I can see some of you. I can see your faces. But I don't know what's going on in your heart. And I learned a long time ago, Marty, don't try to do that. My first pastorate, I was 32 years old. And there was a guy who's gone on to be with the Lord named Walt McGee. I'm going to tell you about two guys in that church and how I learned. And so the first couple of times I preached, Walt was like this. And I thought, I thought, that guy hates me. Boy, he, he doesn't like what I'm saying. He hates me. And he came out the door. You know, back, that was back in the day when the preacher went to the back door and everybody walked out and said, nice talk, nice sermon, you know, th those kind of things. And he came and he was he just tears streaming down his face. He said, Pastor, the word that you preached today, it just hit me. And I learned that that's the way Walt was thinking. He wasn't mad. So I, I, I'm not a mind reader. I don't know what's going on. But I'll tell you this, you know what's going on. And the Lord knows what's going on in that mind and in that heart as you hear this word that Paul says to you and to me to devote ourselves, to be obsessed with the word, with the exhortation, with the teaching of the word. Jesus told a parable. I did preach a series good good while back, 2017, on the parables of Jesus. And the first parable that I unpacked, tried to unpack, was the parable of the sower. You remember that. Sower goes out to sow and he sows the seed and the first kind of soil it lands on is what? It's the hard soil. 
It doesn't penetrate. Do you remember, do you remember what happened to the seed of the word after it was thrown out on that hard soil? The birds came and took it away. It was no more. Who were the birds? Satan as the leader and the demons came and stole the word away. It did not make any impact. I said something like this last week. I'll say it again. You and I may miss a Sunday sermon. And I hope you don't, whether it's here or someplace else. I hope you never, ever miss, unless providentially hindered, another Sunday sermon. But I'll tell you somebody who never misses a Sunday sermon. Satan. And if you and I, I said this last week, could put on spiritual 3D glasses, we would see that probably the most active place for the devil and his minions would not be the local bar or the local dive or whatever you might want to say it would be. No, it would be the meeting together every Sunday of a congregation of Bible-believing hearers. And he's ready. Whether or not your heart is ready to be nourished, Satan is ready to get some food. and He's ready to go down and pluck it. It won't nourish him, but it'll take away the possibility of salvation for those who hear with a hard heart and who don't respond. And I've wondered sometimes... What are the things that distract us from hearing the word of God? And I pray every week, oh God, don't let me be a distraction. I, I could be a distraction. You may not like the sound of my voice. You, 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 you might, when I walked up, you might be distracted by my, I'm balding in the back. You, you might be distracted by that. Well, that preacher got a bald spot. Might be distracted. You know, when I was growing up, I haven't heard this. I haven't heard this. I was thinking this morning, what are some distractions? Wow. I remember as a kid growing up in a little missionary Baptist church, the pastor was preaching. And of course, back then, we, we, we talked about the, the pastor getting worked, worked up and spitting. The preacher that I grew up under always wore a coat and tie halfway through the sermon. The coat was off. The tie was down, his pant legs were dragging, and he was halfway hoarse. I mean, he was preaching, he was spitting. And he was getting after it. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this sermon, when the pastor is preaching, I'm just a little kid and I'm listening, I hear the distinct clip, clip, clip. Now, I have never heard that here. And if I would, I'd probably stop and smile. <laughs> no, I don't know what I'd I'd just keep preaching. But even as a kid, I thought, that's got to be a distraction for somebody. Somebody clipping their finger. Hopefully it wasn't their toenails. <laughs> somebody clipping their fingernails in the middle of a sermon 
talking about distraction. And I thought when I, when I preached that series on the parable of the sower, I thought, man, that's a perfect illustration. What's the, well, we're, we don't do that today. What's the biggest distraction? Not clipping fingernails. Come on, what is it? Electronics. Yeah, I wonder sometimes how many people are on Facebook Marketplace or, or, or Twitter or whatever, and they may, be, they may be listening to another podcast of a better preacher, you know. <laughs> yeah. Voices, mannerisms, music. You, you might have been distracted by Jonathan's selection of music. Well, I don't, I don't like that, so you didn't hear the truth in the words. I'll tell you a big one. I haven't heard it today, but I hear it most Sunday. It's too cold in here. It's too hot. Well, I could just go on and on. Here's what I'm saying. If we're devoted to, we will recognize the tendency of the enemy to steal away the word so it doesn't get into our heart and bear fruit. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to tell the church at Ephesus. That's what we are talking about with those three things. Devote yourself. Be obsessed with the reading of Scripture together that we do the exhortation and the teaching. Let's move on to the second thing. Prioritize the spiritual gift that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't neglect the gift you have. And here's how you got it, Timothy. It was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Let me just make this statement. Don't focus on the how. That's a narrative. You, you, you may or may not want to repeat the how, the narratives of Scripture, but you do want to focus on the what. Don't neglect the gift. Every person in this room, if you're a believer in Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift. And you, now it says that he had the laying on of the hands of the elders. I think he was installed into ministry it may or may not be. It doesn't have to be. But, but here's the point. You have, listen, you have a gift, a spiritual gift. And you have a ministry that you are to see that gift used in. Not only in the church, but in your family. To extend the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, primarily building up the body of Christ. Let me just show you a couple of scriptures. Always want to proof text something like this to show that you, you really do have a gift as each has re received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then Romans tells us about these motivational gifts. So we, though we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, con uh, contributing, leading, and doing acts of mercy. I, again, I see an application in the home. Just as Timothy was placed as guardian of the church to teach the word, 
to help them see that they are equipped for the work of the ministry, then parents, you're also gifted and you've been called to a specific sphere of ministry. And it doesn't matter if you are the most gifted person in the world if your ministry gift is neglected. It's not going to do any good for anyone else and it's not going to bring you the joy that it was intended to do. And that's why Paul says don't neglect the gift that you have. And again, I, I thought of how, how do we neglect the gift? I wrote down several things. And this grows out of a conversation with a couple last week, and, and I've heard it before. They're not going to church. They're good people. And they volunteered the information. I didn't ask. The lady said, we just got lazy. Don't just get lazy. Don't neglect the gift that has been given to you. You need to recognize it. Don't fail to do so or identify. Don't fail to nurture it. Don't bury it. It's one of the things Jesus talked about. Get busy with good things. Sometimes can be an enemy of the best things. Retirement. Now, I, re retirement is appropriate in certain ways, but you never retire from the use of your spiritual gift in the body of Christ. I'm sorry, I don't find any rocking chairs in Scripture. And all of those things can make you neglect the work of the ministry. By the way, this is, a, this is an encouragement for those of us who are a little bit m more mature, okay? So if you got kind of gray on the head or you got the years, you're retired, I just love this verse. This is a verse for us. Grandparents, your ministry to your grandkids. This is a verse for you. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Now listen to this. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap. I know some sappy old people. Ed, I'm looking at you. Okay. Full of sap and green. They're pliable. They're teachable to declare that the Lord is upright. It's the best thing you can give to your grandkids. Be full of him and say, you know what, sweetie, son, the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. That's the legacy that we want to promote today. Paul, by the way, if you're here and, and you've kind of, uh, you, you, you've, you've let these things slide, okay? And again, I don't know all of you, but if you've let these things slide, I think Paul, even as a minister, got weary and he was young and he didn't like what was happening and, and I think he backed off. And that's why in the second letter that Paul wrote to him, he said, Timothy, you've been neglected. He didn't say this, but I, this is what I feel that he was getting at for this reason. I remind you to fan into flame 
the gift of God, which is in you. And even if you have fallen off and fallen away, you still, if you're a believer, you still have that spiritual gift. And I encourage you today to fan it into flame. One last thing. Let's look at it. Practice with great persistence and intensity everything having to do with godliness. Wow, listen to these last two verses. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. By the way, it's important that others see your godliness in progress, not perfection. You're not going to be perfect. So just admit it and then get back on the, 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 the road to progress. By the way, who is the ultimate audience that we want to be pleasing in the first place? It's God. It's not other people. But everybody will see your progress if you practice, if you immerse yourself in these things. Keep a close watch. This is so important. On yourself and on the teaching, the doctrine. Persist in this, for in so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And Paul here is talking about what, what do we immerse ourselves in? What do we persist in? Everything in Scripture that points to the gospel. The gospel is Christ crucified for our sins, buried, raised on the third day. In immersing ourselves into the justification that we have when we believe in Jesus, that we are declared not guilty. We are declared children of God. And then out of that flows a life of increasing sanctification. And that's what he is all about. And then this last thing. I just wrote down this. Live and teach as if your life and the life of others depend on it. Let me say this again. Live and teach by the way, whether you use words or not, your life is going to teach. So live and teach as if others' lives depend on it because they do. Now, you can't save anybody, but I'll tell you this, and I think this is what Paul is getting at. If you're not walking in a godly life, what have you got to give someone? You don't have the, the, the word of salvation for yourself or for them. And that's why he says later in Ephesians chapter 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time. And I think you would agree with this because the days are evil. So let me end with this. Okay, I'm a, and this is a word to moms. All right, it's it's a word to all of us, but it, it's a word specifically to moms. I was thinking about this yesterday and then this morning. It would be the height. Listen to me. It would be the height of foolishness for anyone in this room to neglect these things. And if you do neglect them, it could be to the eternal detriment of your own soul and your soul of others. 
particularly your own family. So moms, I give you the, no scripture on the screen if you want to write these down. Three things, three F's. All right? And I thought of this. Moms and all of us, be fierce. Okay? Be fierce for your family. The Bible talks a lot about being a fool. Proverbs do. And one of the most stunning proverbs is that as bad as, a, as meeting a fool is. By the way, I said it's foolish to neglect these things. And by the way, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. There's just a lot that the Bible talks about fools. But then it says this. A fool is one of the most deadly people you can meet. Do you know what's even more deadly than meeting a fool? Huh? Meeting not a male bear. Well, that would be fierce. You don't want to meet a fool, but I'll tell you what you don't want to meet. A she-bear that has been robbed of her cubs. And I look around and I see moms that are fierce for their children and their grandchildren. And I encourage you, moms, be fierce. That's a pretty good one. I could end on that. But I'm going to give you another one. I'm going to give you three. Not only be fierce, but fight. Nehemiah 4.14. By the way, if you wanted that Proverbs uh, scripture, it's Proverbs 17.12. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her clubs, cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Nehemiah 4.14, fight. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your children, for your homes. Now this command is given, first of all, to the fathers. We've got to fight. We're not leaving us out and the grandfathers. But I'm applying it today to the ladies who are here with us. And then the last one, be fierce, fight, and remember your first love. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, John writing to the church at Ephesus. They were doing great, but what, it, what had happened? They started neglecting. And he said, here's what you got to do. Repent. Repent. Come back to your first love. You've left it. So be fierce. Fight. And don't leave, or if you have, come back to your first love. If you're here today and you're not a believer in, a follower of Jesus Christ, you might even be a good person, a church-going person, but if you have never repented from your sins, first of all, you've realized that you have sinned against a holy God, that his just punishment is upon you, his wrath. Someday you, you will suffer the fullness of that, 
but he sent his son to die in the place of sinners like us. You can repent, turn away from your sins, turn away from playing God and fighting God and turn by faith to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for our sins, was buried, raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And I pray that you will do that if you don't know him. If you do, strive after sound doctrine that we've been talking about all through this chapter, all through this book, and the godliness that flows out of that. Father, I thank you for this time that we have had together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power, for the efficacy of your word, for the power, for the work of your Holy Spirit to take your word and to drive it into our hearts. And I pray that that it would fall on fertile soil, all of us, unbelievers, that it would produce salvation for those of us who know you, that we would live even today a gospel life, grow in godliness. Father, thank you that we once again have been able to dedicate these families to you. We pray that you might help these moms and dads and the grandparents and the aunts and uncles who are here to speak truth into the lives of these precious children. I pray that Satan would never get a second of their lives, that at an early age they would repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. And so, Father, we thank you for our time here today. We pray that you would seal all of these words to our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.